You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Championship week is coming gone. We had some very interesting games, to say the least. Uh, a defensive battle that we thought was going to be a shootout, and then a little bit of a comeback in the second game that you thought was kind of over at halftime. A lot of interesting plays, players, storylines that happened in both games, and we'll get to those you know, as we move forward here in the show. We'll talk a little bit about... Uh, some of the coaching comings and goings uh, as far as head coaches and coordinators as well. Uh, and if we do have time, at the very end, we'll have a little story time with my pal Alex Kaptoff because we are officially into College All-Star Week, if you would, now that both games are together. But uh, anyway, it's just it's nice to reflect back. Alex uh, made many trips to both those games. It'll be interesting to hear what he has to say about those. But first, let's go to one of our player interviews. He's the quarterback of the Samford Bulldogs from Birmingham, Alabama, number 10, Michael Hires. Michael, how are you today? What's happening? I'm doing good, man. I appreciate y'all having me on the show. Well, it's good to have you. You know, it's a transition time during the course of uh, the the end of your season, going to the next level. First off, you lived in Birmingham most of your life, correct? Correct. Okay. For somebody that's never been there before, what's the vibe? How would you describe your hometown? That's a good question. Depends on what you're looking for. You know, you go downtown, you, you can you can have some fun. It's, it can be pretty lively. But you can also, depending on what part of Birmingham you're in, just kind of chill, get more of like a country scene, if you will. So it just kind of depends on what you're looking for. Mostly Tide fans? Mostly, t- yes. My, my <laughs> parents went to Alabama and my sister goes to Alabama. So I, I grew up going to every Alabama game. All right. So how would you describe your path through college? I mean, things have changed so much with the transfer portal and people going to multiple schools. Kind of take us through kind of like the decision after high school and then kind of the the places you've been. Yeah, for sure. So my college experience was pretty unique. Um, A lot of fun, though. I was going to say this. I, I was a three sport guy in high school. I didn't really know if I wanted to play football in college. Baseball was my first love, and I really wanted to go play baseball. So that was kind of my whole mindset until after my senior year of football. When we had a really good season. I started getting some attention. Tried to go walk on at Sanford to play baseball and football because um, I had a scholarship to play baseball, but ended up getting a late offer from Murray State. Like five days before signing day, they came to a basketball game and offered me. So I accepted it. Um, with the intention of going to play baseball and football. When I got to Murray, um, I was there for a year and a half. Baseball didn't end up working out. It was just really hard to play both baseball and football, so I just stuck with football. Just being at a quarterback position, you're having to throw a lot. I just couldn't really make it work. So I was there for a year and a half. My coaches got fired in my redshirt freshman season, and then I got hit up by a couple of junior colleges, one of them being Northwest Mississippi, which I had heard of just from the whole Last Chance U show. So I went there. I followed some of my defensive coaches. That's kind of that's where the connection was. Had two phenomenal seasons at Northwest Mississippi Junior College. 
won a national championship, won two state championships, just a really good team, really great coaches. And then that kind of put me in the position to go back to my hometown and go play for Stanford for two years. And we had just two phenomenal seasons. So it was a really unique college experience, and I, I wouldn't change a thing. Michael, what was the toughest adjustment for you coming from JUCO to Samford? Man, to be honest with you, there wasn't too tough an adjustment going from JUCO to Samford. I think at that point I was at an age where I was really comfortable just meeting new people. But also coming to Samford, there was a lot of people on the team that I had already known that I was friends with. So that transition was just really smooth. I would say there was more of an adjustment going One, obviously, from high school to college, because that's just a new experience. And then going from college to Northwest, there was more of an adjustment kind of acclimation period, if you will, there. What would you say was your biggest accomplishment at Samford the last two seasons that you played there uh, as you look back on your career now? Uh, Winning the Commerce Championship in 2022. Um, I think we had the greatest season in school history, and, man, it was just such a special year and just – Wow, it was incredible. Great people. We were had a great football team, and it was just so fun to be a part of. You mentioned that year, Michael. You had a completion percentage of nearly 77%. Last year was 71%. Is there a difference between completion percentage and accuracy? Well, I, yes. So I think there's two different parts to that question. I think one completion percentage, right, like a quarterback can be super accurate, but if he didn't have guys who can catch the ball, then – the completion percentage is going to go down. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you can be a super accurate quarterback, but also not make the right decisions or have the correct anticipation to where maybe you're accurate, you're just not throwing to the guy that's open, right? So I think there's a lot of things that go into completion percentage. So ball placement, what? how would you kind of describe what that term means to you? Um, I think there's a lot of times where – you know, let's say the defender's on someone's back and you need to put it on their right shoulder and low for them to catch it. You know, and if you miss by a hair, then that defender has a better chance of knocking the ball down. So, I mean, if you don't have correct ball placement, especially in tight windows, then the ball's probably not going to be complete. Again, these are remarkable numbers. I mean, for, for anybody, I think you were number one in the nation. I'm not sure if that was FCS or everybody, but it was like 76.6%. And then, like I said, again, this past season, over 71%. What was the key for this particular group to have such a high completion percentage? Yeah, I think Coach Hatcher did a really good job just preparing me on where to go with the football and just making me feel super comfortable in my reads and my decisions pre-snap and post-snap. But also I had phenomenal receivers um, and people around me that just caught – I mean, they caught the ball when I threw it to them. Because like I said earlier, you can you can have you know receivers who aren't great at catching the ball and that affects your completion percentage in a negative way. So I think it goes – you have a good quarterback, good receivers, good line to protect you. It's just – the entire offense, right? Uh, last weekend, you participated at an all-star game in Florida. It was called the Tropical Bowl. What did you take away from that experience? First off, it's always just fun to to get to compete with guys that you know of, like a, a bunch of quarterbacks that you keep up with, mid-major guys, some power five guys that you know of but you've never gotten to throw with. So it's fun to get to throw with them and just – compete with people from other teams but it's also a good opportunity to to learn from you know coaches and meet with scouts about where you are and what you need to work on and 
it's just a fun little four-day event where you, you kind of get all of that in four days and, and you get to learn a lot and also, you know, cap it off with a fun game at, at the end of the week. So it was just a really good experience. So who did you like to hang around with at this event? Did you uh, make some friends? I mean, especially in the in the quarterback room? Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. We I hung out with pretty much all the quarterbacks, but like Lane Hatcher, um, Gunnar Watson, Brennan Armstrong, just a, a bunch of guys. Austin P. quarterback, Darren Granger from Georgia State. Just a bunch, and it's just fun to kind of hang around them and, you know, talk about their season, talk about their offense, how they go through their pregame routine, just, just little things. So it, it, it's a really good learning experience. So you got to see some of your competition during this All-Star game. How do you think you stack up with the quarterbacks that were at this event at the Tropical Bowl? I mean, I think I stack up great. I mean, as a quarterback, you have to have complete confidence in yourself. And if you don't think you're the best player, then you're kind of doing yourself a disservice and the rest of your team. So I, I think you always have that chip on your shoulder of saying, well, I can throw it with anyone. So, I mean, yeah, I think I stacked up great. And I think it was also, like I said, I got to learn from them and see what they do well that I may not do well and vice versa. So it was just a really good weekend. Uh, Michael, what do you think is your best trait? as a quarterback, what you bring to the football field? I think my best trait, like we talked about earlier, my accuracy. Um, I've been very accurate and just really good with ball placement. Kind of one of those natural things I've been gifted with. High school, junior college, all the way up, I was always a close to 70% guy. Um, and then the last two years at Sanford, we got over 70%. But I'd say that, my leadership ability, I, I naturally am good at reading defenses picking it, and picking up on things quick, and I, I can make every throw on the field. And I don't think my accuracy is affected when I have people in my face. I think that's another one of, a good trait of mine. Um, obviously, I mean, you're more accurate when someone's not hitting you, but I, I feel very comfortable throwing the ball with pressure in my face. Between now and your pro day, what do you think you still need to work on? I think you need to work on everything. I mean, you know, you can get better at everything, right? You can get a stronger arm, clean up your mechanics, get faster and stronger. And those are kind of the main things that I'm, I'm working on right now. Just look as good, feel as good as you possibly can. Make sure all the mechanics are sound. Um, and then just understanding the pro offense, right? I mean, football, is uh, people make it a lot harder than it is, but still at the same time in the NFL it's it's different terminology and stuff like that so just meeting with some NFL quarterbacks that are in the league right now and kind of understanding some NFL terminology is really helpful when you watch NFL players now this time of year the comps are, are, is a huge term that you'll hear because everybody wants to hear what's his comp before you know you really get anything else is there somebody out there put your scouting hat on that compares to Michael Hires. Yeah. So, I mean, I think people obviously always want to say like one of the best, you know, like a Mahomes or Burrow or Josh Allen. And, and I don't know if y'all seen the video of compare me to like an FCS Josh Allen, but I would compare myself more to like a Gardner Minshew, which he went to Northwest Mississippi community college. So there's some background there, but I think some things he does is very similar to my playing style you know, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he still seems to always be picking up plays on like third and seven. He good, he's good at moving in the pocket, accurate on all levels of the field, and just seems like a good leader. So that that's kind of someone who I like to watch film on and who I compare my playing style to. Do you wear jorts? 
<laughs> I do not wear George. So I, we're, we're different in that regard. <laughs> get yourself, you got to get yourself an RV too, I think. I know. Uh, when it comes to games or practice, Michael, is there anything that drives you absolutely crazy during a game or practice? In a game more, you're just focused on how can we beat the other team and we will do, I will do anything I can to beat the other team. Practice, I'm a perfectionist. So like, you know, I think attention to detail makes people successful. And so if, you know, the receiver's off the ball a little bit, if, if we're not getting our depth on a certain route, if we're not hitting the right hole in a run, on a run play, it's just little things like that drive me insane. How does it manifest then after the fact? You just work on it so much that you get it and you perfect it. I mean, do you get so, in somebody's grill? I mean, you, you go up to say, okay, um, this is like the third time this has happened, man. We can't be dropping passes. I mean, this, we've run this route a hundred times. What's going on? Right. Yeah. See, I, I mean, I'm not going to get on. Obviously, the receiver's not trying to drop a pass. Like, I may say something. Right. But, you know, I'm going to make bad throws. We're going to have guys miss blocks, guys drop balls. As long as you're giving 100% effort and I can tell that you're giving me everything you got, I'm not going to yell. Everyone is – you can approach them different. Some guys like to be yelled at. It kind of gets them going. Some guys you don't yell at. You more just like kind of go pat them on the butt and encourage them. So it depends on the person of, you know, who I'm talking to, and that's how I will, I will approach the situation. All right. Uh, when you look back at your career overall in college, what was the best defensive team that you played against and why? Um. <laughs> That's easy. Uh, the 2022 Georgia Bulldogs, they were pretty good. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they uh, were. <laughs> yeah, um, I can list a lot of reasons why they were good. Um, they had a guy named Jalen Carter. Everyone on that defense, I think there was like five or six draft picks on that defense. I don't even need to say anything. They were unbelievable. They stopped everyone in the country. I don't think anyone really scored on them the entire year. They are pretty good. So when you watch the film on them during the week, preparing for them, and then you got to face them on Saturday, what surprised you the most, like on the football field? They were as good as advertised. Like, I knew how good they were watching film. I think just, you know, you play some big dudes, but just the size of some of them that, you know, you can't see on the film and until you're five yards away from them, and you're like, dude, that is, that's a big guy. I got, that guy's built a little different than the rest of us. Um, so that that's what stands out more than anything to be honest with you it's an fcs against you know the eventual national champion that year and just a, a, a juggernaut but was there did you hear any trash talk coming from them you know maybe if you got sacked maybe a little little john to you i mean they they didn't talk more than any other team i mean you know everyone likes to make a big like obviously they're they're an unbelievable team but i mean from when it comes to like talking and how hard they hit and all that it's just like all the other teams they play they're just they're bigger faster stronger which is obviously a very good trait to have as a football player but from a like person and how they operate it was the same so you went took part in the manning passing academy what's your biggest takeaway from that experience and that weekend was a blast um just getting to hang out with the mannings and getting to talk to them and you know, them knowing you on a personal level was such a cool experience. I think one of the coolest parts of the weekend, one, was just getting to – kind of like what I said about the Tropical Bowl, but you're getting to hang out with all of these quarterbacks, just getting to go out, go eat, you know, hang out because you're pretty much with them for four days straight. It was just such a 
cool experience um, to get to know them on a personal level and keep up with them throughout the season and text each other back and forth. But I'd say the coolest thing was they had a segment where it was Blaine Gabbert, Peyton Manning, and Eli Manning, and then there's two general managers, and they were just answering all the questions we had. Just kind of Peyton was going through his warm-up routine, how he watched film, you know, how he did routes on air, how he practiced. Eli starts pitching in, and it was just, I mean, it was like an hour long, and it was just probably the coolest football experience I've ever had. Who of the other quarterbacks that weren't professionals, I mean, other college guys, that who really blew you away? Uh, I mean, the thing is, is like everyone is so good at that point that like everyone looks really good, right? So it's kind of like, okay, that's that guy's a good player. So is that guy. So is that guy. You know, they're probably not here if they're not a really good player. Um, but I would say Joe Milton throwing – he threw like a 90-yard bomb. I've never seen a ball come out of a hand – out of a person's hand like it did his. That blew me away. I've never seen anything like that. Everybody's seen, you know, the Manning cast, how the guys are constantly at each other. Who's the goofiest Manning and what was the goofiest thing they did? Oh, absolutely, Cooper. I can't even tell you the goofiest thing he did because he was just goofy the whole week. But you could tell he, he would just try to get under everyone's skin. Like, you know, as a couple of days go by, you can tell that he's kind of getting under Archie's skin a little bit and he's trying to get Cooper to settle down, but he just wasn't having it. He was just going to do whatever he wanted to do, and it was it was a blast to be around. Michael, what is the one thing that you absolutely love about playing quarterback? One. I, I could name about ten. Um, I, I just love having the ball in my hand. I, I love kind of – I love being the head of the offense. I love being the leader. I love being in control. And ultimately, you know, one of the reasons I love baseball so much and pitching is because you kind of determine the outcome of the game. You know, when there's a good chance you had a lot to do with that, you lose, there's a good chance you had a lot to do with that. And it's the same as quarterback. I just love having the pressure on me, and I love being the leader of the team. You may have mentioned part of this early on, Michael, but I want to hit this again. I mean, outside of not being able to play both, what made you choose football over the other two sports? Because you were really good. I mean, you kind of glossed over it. You're a high school, all county, all city in both sports, basketball, baseball, well, all three. And was there some determining factor that really kind of led you to football? I never really, I don't want to say cared because if I do anything, I want to win. But I had always been so like focused on baseball and just love baseball. And then when I started my senior year, I just fell in love with football. I fell in love with the position of quarter, just playing quarterback. Like I said, I, I just love being the leader. I love having the ball in my hands every play. I think it makes it a lot of fun. When it got to playing baseball or football, I tried to do both, but you just can't. How spring ball works out, it was just really hard to do both. So I just ended up picking football because that's what I love the most of the time and still do. All right. We talked about comps before. Who would be your comp as a basketball player? <laughs> shoot. Um, really, any white guy that can shoot. <laughs> that, that, was my, that was my thing. Uh, I, I, I could score the ball really well. J.J. Redick, maybe. <laughs> hey, uh, that's not a, that, Lo- not a love bad Larry one Bird, gr- Love Larry Bird growing up. He, you know, he was a slow white guy that just somehow found a way to win. I mean, obviously, I didn't grow up watching him, but just seeing highlights of him. You wear number 10. 
what is Chipper Jones meant to you? What does he represent in your life? <laughs> so my family is from the Atlanta area, or my dad's side is. So I grew up just a huge Braves fan. I mean, I, I cared about the Falcons, didn't really care about the Hawks, but I, I watched the Braves. I mean, you know, at that age, Chipper was the best player, and I, I loved him. So that that's when I chose to wear 10, and I've been wearing 10 probably since I was five years old. I think I went to Cooperstown when I was like 12, and the Braves were playing the Phillies, um, and we stayed in the team hotel, and I got Chipper's autograph like two or three times. I was just going to get it as many times as he'd signed the ball. So, Wow, that was like, a, like every kid's dream, and especially a Chipper Jones fan. That, was, that must have been a great weekend. Oh, uh, it was awesome. Give me an opportunity here, Michael, to shout out uh, any social media, any group you're associated with, any charities you work with. Uh, go ahead. I do some work with our church, Redeemer Community Church um, in Birmingham. But other than that, I haven't really done anything. Um, did you want like give out my inst- my Instagram handles? Michael? Yeah, whatever, whatever you like. The floor is yours. No pressure <laughs> either way. I mean, it's uh, if you don't want to, that's fine, too. I understand. Yeah, I mean, my, my Instagram is michael.hires, and my Twitter is michaelhires107, but appreciate no, the opportunity, though. Absolutely. We loved having you on. We always love talking to all, all the positions you know, on the field, but quarterbacks, uh, it just seems to be a, l- a little bit different and in a very good way. So that, that's Michael Hires, quarterback of the Samford Bulldogs. Good luck to you, Michael, and your preparation. Uh, upcoming draft. Like I said, best of luck, and thanks for coming on Pros Like Us. Yeah, absolutely, man. I really appreciate you all having me on. It's been a blast. Best of luck uh, to the show. Thank you, sir. Alex, Niners, down big at half. Just from what you were seeing on the field, I, I know what you probably felt like as a fan, but just from what you were seeing on the field that first half, what are your thoughts? Well, the first half was terrible as a 49ers fan. I mean, obviously you felt like the game was over. I saw the Lions bring it. I saw the offensive line for Detroit that was dominating the entire game. Uh, the rushing game was terrific. I mean, both Montgomery and Gibbs, they produced 148 yards on the ground, and they scored three rushing scores. So when I was looking at it, you know, then the statistics come out, right? I mean, teams leading by 17 points or more at halftime in a conference championship game were 21-0 and before this game. So as a fan, as a person that loves football kind of i i dissected i watched a lot of games i just i i didn't feel good at all and i felt like the 49ers will definitely be looking forward to next year i mean that's that's what i was seeing and yeah there were a couple of thoughts at halftime when i started thinking all right we came back against the packers i guess maybe we can do it again but it was just a brief it was a brief thought that crossed my mind but I didn't actually think that it was going to happen. Well, and then the other piece is, I mean, you talk about statistics. Uh, you know, it's been chronicled over, I don't know, the last several years what Kyle Shanahan's record is, you know, trailing going into the fourth quarter, quarter, trailing going into halftime. And until last week where maybe maybe that trend is starting to turn with Purdy bringing them back against the Packers. Now, obviously, this one was much different, much bigger deficit. And like you said, Detroit looked like 
they're just they were executing their plan to a T. Nothing, I mean, hardly anything went wrong for them other than having to kick a field goal instead of scoring a fourth touchdown. So you got to be thinking like, hey, I mean, dude, this game's over. Plus, you know, in terms of the the betting public, you're getting seven points on top of the 17 point lead. So, uh, yeah, it it was pretty. And and the and the rookies that we've seen, you know, doing everything, you know, Laporta and Gibbs were having big first halves, and it just seemed like you know, maybe this is just Detroit's time. But of course, then the second half comes, and it's like, okay, maybe the playoff experience is a real thing. Uh, things start going a little bit the other way. You know, we. we Typically, we go for it on fourth down, nice aggressive play, guy's there, he drops it, and then it just seemed like the avalanche came. So uh had to be pretty satisfying for you once that you know started rolling. Well, when the second half started, you could see the urgency like in, in the 49ers' eyes. And it seemed like everybody was ready. Like they that's it. I mean, they had 30 minutes left. And it looked like Bosa, you know, was getting after the quarterback. Debo, he was rushing back to the huddle. You know, you could see it in their eyes. Like, we have to score coming out. And we're going to do this. Obviously, they just kicked a field goal. They didn't score the touchdown. But they just, they knew they had to score right away on that first drive. And when you look at Purdy's numbers, Lou, I mean, in the second half, he was brilliant. 13 out of 16. For 174 yards, one touchdown. He rushed for 49 yards, no turnovers. I just, I mean, there were a lot of guys that contributed. There are a lot of guys that made plays. I mean, you can't really like Debo and Christian McCaffrey and that that amazing catch by Brandon Ayuk that should have been a pick. Okay. But it was and it was an amazing play in regards. See to that, that to that to me was probably the biggest play of the game. Because if that because they're down they're still down fourteen at that point right I mean it's twenty four to ten and if somehow you know the, uh, was it Kindle I can't remember his name the, the defensive back Kindle Vildor. yeah Kindle something yeah, there you go but if he catches that ball now all of a sudden you know maybe the momentum doesn't quite go but you know yeah absolutely I mean that was just the concentration that Ayuk had to just play that play it off of his face pretty much and then catch it before it hits the ground. That was just, yeah, to me, that was just, I think the biggest play of the game, you know, based on time and score. And you know what? Like I've heard people talk about it the last two days. Like did Dan Campbell blow it in the second half by going with those two fourth down calls, but you know what? Those fourth down decisions, I don't question them. They didn't pan out for the Lions. But if you watch Detroit play the entire season, Campbell has been making those calls and being aggressive in those situations. And the reason why the Lions were playing in the NFC Championship game was because of that. Because their coaches believed in the players and the players executed it. So when you believe in those guys that they can pick up a fourth and three, a fourth and one, I just I feel like you got to go for it. I realize no, let that me some... let me play devil's advocate for a second I, before you get too far down the line, you know, outside of this because this is of course everything gets scrutinized. It's the championship game. This is the way we play. Okay, 
Now, again, I agree with them. I agree, especially on the first, the first one. Hey, we're up by 14. They just kicked the field goal. We're in, in positive, you know, we're in the positive side of the field. Let's do it. The other part of it is, and I think where the, the argument comes is, all right, if the, the, the numbers say that you have a better chance or if you make it, your uh, win probability goes up or the odds of making it, uh, making the fourth down, making the first down on this fourth down and three are decidedly higher than getting stopped. Okay, I get that. I think where the argument comes in, Alex, is where those numbers are just raw. It doesn't account for who the who the uh, opponent is, who you know, how confident are you in your kicker? You know, be obviously they're not completely confident in him. Or you'd think, yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna try to get the points here. Want to kind of stem the tide? It's you know, they just kicked a field goal. Let's kick a field goal here, kind of settle things down a little bit. You know, so again, I like the call. <laughs> you know, I like being aggressive. It was a good call. He was there. He just dropped the pass. I mean, it, that's that's the difficult piece. And then when you hear people say, take the points, take the points, they're not given. You still have to make that kick. So the next person has to execute just as that wide receiver and the quarterback have to execute. But, again, I can see both sides and, like, you have to contextualize things because if it's a, you know, the seventh game of the season at home against the Bears, okay, fine. This is to kind of – cement your your place in the Super Bowl maybe the decision becomes a little bit different once you see that hey it's 24 to 10 it's the third quarter we're about halfway in okay this is where you know more points is better because that that takes that it takes the other team that much more time to catch up right so if you get go back up by three scores, maybe that plants a little bit more doubt in the opponent's mind. So I can see it both ways, but personally, I don't have any problem with the the, the fourth down play when they were going uh, when they were up twenty four to ten. The second one, again, it depends on who your kicker is. On the second one, if I'm confident in my kicker, I probably trot him out there. Let's get the game tied and and see what happens. I agree with you. I think the second one is more of a question mark there, but I just feel like you have to take ownership of the game. You have to get the momentum back on your side. I'm not sure a field goal does it, but a conversion can get you going, can get that adrenaline going in the players, and they can get... Because, I mean, in the second half, they were fumbling a lot. This isn't only about, like... Two fourth downs, right? Gibbs Gibbs fumbled. And they just didn't look like the same team. They were making drops, right? Guys that were coming up with clutch plays. They were yeah, not Reynolds able to hold on to the ball. Right. Laporte, I, and he's Laporte, made those Laporte, plays. that was more of a defensive play, I thought. And Reynolds, Reynolds has been... Reynolds, it just got in his head. I mean, he, it was, he was wide open. And Reynolds was making those plays, especially in the playoffs. And he's been there before because he was with the Rams. So this isn't yeah. just a guy that 
you know, that hasn't done anything. He's made those plays. So uh, I'm just defending him because, I mean, some people yeah. will say, why isn't Goff going to Amon-Ra? Or why isn't Goff going to Laporta? He was probably looking for him, but you still got to go through your reads. And, I mean, you were yeah, he's open. If a guy's open, I mean, you got to trust that, you know, he's a professional wide receiver. And it feels like I've been having this conversation <laughs> for another team for the past 10 weeks. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it, when it doesn't work out, everybody comes out and is, is pointing fingers back at the coach saying, what are you doing? You know, do you got to know better than this? You got to take the point. But again, you look at badge and again, that might be a question they've been praising, you know, Brad Holmes for being such a great GM and making all these great picks. You know, if you're going to be a championship team, you got to have a kicker that's nails, right? I mean, you're going to be in some tight games. If you want to proceed, you're going to have a game where you need to rely on that guy to make those kicks. So I think maybe I, I truly believe that was part of the decision and, you know, the coach isn't going to throw his kicker under the bus, but I don't think he, I don't think he really trusted his kicking game for most of the season. They changed kickers, you know, at one point and it's just, uh, that just tells you that you have to be solid in all three phases and that kicker is going to be important to you. Any Super Bowl run at some point, you're going to need at least minimum one clutch kick in that run. Lou, the Niners have their own problems with kicking. All right. Don't get me started. <laughs> they do. All right. Oh, they do. Yeah. You, that's you've what I'm got, saying. I don't, I don't you've get got it. a great I mean, kicker there, Lowe. You've got a yeah. Mr. Automatic there. You Absolutely. Know? Like, I mean, outside of the guy on the, got... other, on, on, on the other side of the field on Sunday, I, I those are the two best, in my opinion. We've got John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan spending a third round pick on a kicker, Lowe. I mean, they should know better. <laughs> You can find a guy on as an undrafted free agent, dude. You can find a guy in camp. I mean, look at the Dallas Cowboys kicking situation. They were always able to find guys off the street, and they found another one. So I just I feel like we've got more question marks about kicking as well for a team that advances. Plus, so let's I mean, let's move the conversation to Purdy and how what he was able to do with his legs in the second half because that was I think was a little bit. Uh, about his game that was, I don't want to say questioned, but we just really hadn't seen it to that point. Well, we've seen it at Iowa State. I mean, he he's kind of sneaky in terms of his athleticism. He can move. It's just he doesn't do it often. But I saw a lot of that at Iowa State. When he was able to pull off upsets against the Sooners, you know, like in the Big 12, he was, he was using his feet. I'm not saying he's Lamar Jackson-esque. But I did see that part of his game, and I think he should use it a little bit more because especially like on those short down situations, like when they're throwing third and three, third and two, I think he can pick up some first downs easily if he's not looking. Like look at the first read and then just go. And I think I saw a little bit of that. I, I was really impressed by that because obviously the guy showed like a cool head and he was calm and relaxed in the second half, and he's different, Lo. I mean, this guy yeah. is built differently, and you, you see that. I'm not about to compare him to the all-time greats. I'm not about to compare him to Patrick Mahomes. I'm not doing that. But the thing is, you see that this guy is kind of beyond the years. Like, 
not many people can can bounce back like that in the second half. Forget about what they did in the first half. Forget about what the score is right. and just perform. There and are very few his, guys that his can do age, that. Too. I mean, it's you know, his basically his second year starting. Right. In right. a way, Lou, in a way, it reminds me of like Tom Brady, like a young Tom Brady in that way. I'm not saying he's going to accomplish things that Brady did, but he's just very calm and relaxed. And it doesn't matter whether it's the fourth quarter or a two minute drill or whether he's down by 17. That just looked like Patriots against Falcons. Sorry, Kyle Shanahan, but that just looked like it, like in a way, like a, a crazy play, a crazy catch. And then right. it just propels them by going forward. It just it looked like one of those games a little bit. And, and there was a quarterback in there that just believes. And that's it. When he believes, the entire team believes. And then you have a guy like Nick Bosa on the other side who kind of stepped up and get, was able to get to the quarterback, was able to make Jerry Goff you know, get him off his spot. And when you get Goff off his spot – you know, he struggles. I mean, under pressure, with accuracy, his numbers drop. And when we were able to get in his face, uh, you know, we had success. So uh, that that was impressive to me. And again, it's the you can't, they're not going to be able to do this against the Chiefs, okay? This is just, so we got to get off, like, out of the gate really quickly. And that's what worries me as well, Lou. Like, the 49ers haven't played a complete game in the playoffs whether it was against the Packers or the Lions. We haven't played for the full four quarters, and that's what it's going to take in order to beat the Chiefs, you know, in a couple of weeks. It's just they haven't played well. They've played a good half, a great half, but they haven't strung together like a good four quarters, and that's what it's going to take in the Super Bowl. Yeah, so the first game was kind of kind of a strange game to me. I I didn't think it was going to be a, a, like a real high scoring game, but I would have, I would have bet a lot to say that it wasn't, it, you know, that it wouldn't be anything like a 17 to 10 or 20 to 13. You know, I thought for sure the winning team was going to score at least 27 points. Um, so defensively, I think again, Steve Spagnuolo just keeps adding to like his legend because of what he was able to do, you know, with, with the giants, you know, against Brady in in super bowls, what he's, you know, what he's been able to do with this team. And, and still, I still think this defense is, is underrated, you know, in the, in the national media because of any time you think or talk about the Chiefs, it's always been offense, 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 Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyree Kill in the past, you know, and some, some of the other players in between. So when you see this and you start to realize, well, wait a second, I mean, and now you even hear some of the national guys say, well, maybe, you know, Sneed and McDuffie might be the best quarterback tandem in the league. Uh, this Nick Bolton might be one of the best inside linebackers in the league. Chris Jones is arguably the best interior defensive lineman in the league. Uh, and it's just like, okay, so he's got all these chess pieces, knows how to deploy them. And as much as I don't want, I don't want to say they, 
they suffocated them, but I Baltimore just had a really bad offensive plan. Or if they had a plan that was different, they abandoned it very quickly. They ran the they they called I think six running plays to running back. They handed off six times the entire game. I think they had averaged during the year like a minimum of twenty two. I don't want to say minimum. That was their average. But, you know, my point is that they're a running team. They're the best running team in the league. They they didn't really attempt many. Lamar got loose a couple of times. But and even some of the runs that they were, you know, Gus Edwards made some some nice runs. I mean, not, nothing like huge, but like 10 yard run, a 15 yard run. And you're like, OK, well, what's but. They kind of they went away from it. It was like, you know, Lamar, go make plays. And it didn't seem like they gave him many answers to the blitz because that was very apparent that that was going to be Spags's uh, calling card in this game is just put as much pressure as we possibly can on Lamar. Hold, the, you know, hold the pass, the, the pass rushing lanes. Don't, you know, try not to let him get out of the pocket. They batted down a bunch of balls. And, you know, in the first quarter, Mahomes was flawless, right? I mean, I think he completed his first 11 passes, and he and Kelsey just went to another level. I mean, maybe they turned the clock back three or four years because leading up to this game, I mean, Kelsey's, like, kind of ramped up once they got in the playoffs because near, I mean, from, like, midseason on, it was kind of wonky here and there. But, uh, yeah, they did enough offensively. They made plays. And at the end of the game, you talked about dropping passes and being confident in the guys you're throwing to. On that big third down play, Patrick went to MVS, and MVS came down with it, and that was the game. So uh, I know there was a lot to unpack there, and I went on (laughs) maybe a little bit longer than I expected. But, uh, hey, they won. They did what they had to, and uh, on to the next. Let's go. I mean, you basically covered it. I've got nothing Sorry, else yeah. to say. I started, I got on a roll. <laughs> I know you stuff. did. I think you hit it right on the money. I mean, basically the fact that the Ravens, you said it, abandoned the run. Because in the beginning, they had eight people in the box. So the Chiefs were daring Lamar to throw the football. But I right. felt like the game was always within reach, Lou. It was within 10 points. And like, yeah, the, and the Ravens, scored it wasn't like points. it wasn't like 17 or 24 points where you have to throw on every down. And it seems right. like Todd Munkin just got away from it very early. I am sure the game plan was to be more balanced. I mean, I'm almost certain of it because that's what we saw from that's the Ravens. That's the way they play. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, exactly. All year, exactly. All year, exactly. I agree with that. So like, so yeah, Lamar, I mean, it just seemed like a weird time to kind of say, okay, well, let's try this now. It just, I just baffled. Really. And plus, plus the Chiefs did a good job taking away kind of the middle of the field, those intermediate throws. If you look at it, I mean, Lamar hit a couple of big plays downfield. He improvised on that play to Zay Flowers for the touchdown. But I felt like, right. okay, if you get away from the run, from the traditional run, why don't you design some place for Lamar to get out of the outside of the pocket and just run with it? It's like Michael Vick all over again. Do you think Nick Bolton is going to catch him? No, it's not happening. 
So I just, well, those I, are the, I'm sure those, those are definitely in the playbook. <laughs> they just, they weren't part of the of plan. Of course. I, I'm just, just, I thought crazy. that he picked up yards by, um, he was improvising a lot of the yeah, time. Yeah, there was nothing on time. Everything was just kind of him, the plays that he did hit, like you said, it absolutely, whereas him making a play because on the, even on the touch, on the touchdown to Zay Flowers, Leo Chanel had, I mean, it was a classic Lamar play. Leo had him. I mean, that was a sack, but he slipped away, backed up. You can tell it was a zone blitz because there's no reason for Nick Bolton to be running 40 yards downfield with Zay Flowers, other than he dropped into coverage and maybe they they had, they had sent one of the DBs on on a on blitz, but and that and that was the play. The one, the other one, the Flowers on the left sideline. I think uh, they had switched. Uh, the DBs had switched where uh, Sneed went, you know, kind of dropped back into like a safety position, and the other DB came up to to cover one of the other receivers, and Sneed just lost him. I mean, he just lost because he was like standing there by himself waiting for the ball. So they really made two big plays. Those were the two their two big plays. And other than that, uh, everything was really, really difficult. Again, you hit it right on the head. Uh, the Chiefs' defense was forcing Jackson to hold the ball, uh, the ball more than he wanted. I mean, that was that was pretty straightforward there. Plus, what the hell was Zay Flowers doing taunting uh, Sneed at the end of that play? I mean, my yeah. God, you can taunt. Okay, well, I mean, you can taunt when you're up by like 10 points or 17 points. You're having a good game. You're going against the top corner, and you're like, yeah, man, I'm owning you. Okay, I don't have a problem. You're losing. Get back in the huddle. Run the next play. What the hell are you doing? And then it's like almost karma, Lou. It's like bad karma. <laughs> couple of plays after that, he fumbles the ball at the one-yard line, and who forces yeah. it out? Sneed. So it's like, yeah. shut your mouth, rookie. I mean, do and, and just play the game. And that's what professionals do. I thought that was a huge problem. Plus, again, the game, Lou, was within reach. I mean, in the fourth quarter, again, it was 10 points. Zay Flowers fumbles the ball. Jackson throws into triple coverage, right, in the fourth quarter. So three drives, I mean, he, they yielded like three points. They could have scored more, and the game would have been tied because the Ravens in the second half, they adjusted, and they held Mahomes and that offense in check. They couldn't score, and I thought that was huge. I mean, even the Ravens struggled early on on defense, couldn't contain Kelsey, but in the second half, they were able to do those things that we saw them doing like during the regular season. And another thing that I just – it boggles my mind, okay? With all due respect to Kyle Hamilton – He's had a great year. He's a Pro Bowl safety. He's 6'4", you know, runs runs really well. He's athletic. He can match up with Travis Kelsey. Uh, but he can't match up with Travis Kelsey. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. It's just what bothers me is that you know that Mahomes is always looking for Kelsey. It's like Tua always looking for Tyreek Hill. Why don't you bump him at the line of scrimmage? Don't give him a free release. Double him at times. You know that on those third downs, it's going his way. And even though you trust your guy in Kyle Hamilton, Travis Kelsey just owned him. I hope the 49ers aren't going to do that shit. I mean, honestly, like, I'm, I, if they do that, I, I, that's it. I'm retiring. 
I, I'm, I will no longer root for the 49ers because that's as simple as it gets, Lou. Simple as it yeah. gets. If you play well, zone they, coverage. They, they've obviously that. Now it's not the the staff is a little bit different, but you still have Shanahan. You know, some of the players, I think there's still nine or ten players still on the team. I mean, they, they saw it firsthand. They see it on film. I don't think, yeah. I mean, these were, I mean, between – Munkin and McDonald, this is their, you know, this, their second playoff game, Colin, you know, uh, the first one was against a really young, inexperienced team and they kind of struggled in the first half as well, but then they kind of picked it up in the second half. And I think that was more strength of roster, a little bit more experience. So when you're playing against a team that kind of has been there, done that. They kind of have, they know how to win, so to speak, that you know, hopefully they learn from this. And like you said, the Flowers play. Um, there were some other plays too. I mean, even like, I don't know if it was Patrick, I think it was Patrick Queen, where there was kind of a third, it was a third down play and the ball goes to, to Kelsey. It's like third and short. And uh, Rasheed Rice had happened to be running a crosser going like kind of opposite of Kelsey and Queens in the area, the ball goes to Kelsey, which is just off to his left. And he just thought it would be a better idea to give Rasheed Rice a shot because he wasn't expecting it, figuring, Hey, he's going to go make the tackle and he just lights him up. And as, and Kelsey runs for the first down. I mean, so there was there was a lot of that going on where it just seemed like they uh, the chippiness, right? I mean, there was a lot of chirping even like before the game. The incident with Justin Tucker was, I think, was just stupid. But there was some other stuff going on too before the game where the guys had to be separated. Um, somebody else that was it was a Queen or Roquan. I think it might have been it was either Queen or Roquan where kind of Kelsey baited him into it and sportsmanlike. So again, I don't know. I you know it's hard to say once you get guys in that situation, the pressure cooker, I don't know what, what you want to call it, but a lot of stuff happening out of character on the on the Raven side for sure. So I, I, no, no answers for you on that, but it was just really, you know, it, it was strange to me the way the Chiefs end up winning that game because Baltimore did so many things that were out of character as far as mentally and then just the plan offensively to just abandon the run or not even try it enough to make it go. I mean, hell, Andy Reid sticking with the run. I think Pacheco had 24 carries. He only had like 68 yards, but they just stuck with it. Hey, we're going to run clock now. Hey, we're going to hit some of these runs. Yes, no, doesn't matter. And that, you know, it was almost like they flipped the script, like this team is going to go all pass and this team is going to run. You would have said, well, it's going to, you know, obviously it's the Ravens Chiefs. Sure. But, you know, it, it was the other team doing the, doing the opposite teams, uh, uh, I guess, DNA and what they typically what you typically see from them. So that it was a little it was a strange game, you know, glad they won. But it was just one of those things like, OK. If we can win this way, there's a lot of different ways. They're kind of proving to themselves. It doesn't have to be, you know, Mahomes throwing for over 300, four or five touchdowns just to keep it close. 
that, hey, we can get in there, get down in the dirt and be as gritty as anybody else. That's uh, that's encouraging because, you know, you're going to get into games like that where you're not scoring a ton of points. And it's it's encouraging to see, hey, we can still win that way. So this Super Bowl is just going to be crazy. I I can't wait. You got to take a page out of Bill Belichick's playbook. You got to take away the top target. You got to double him. You got to bracket him. You got to get your hands on him. You can't let Justin Jefferson, you know, Travis Kelsey, uh, you know, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill beat you. Let the other guys beat you. Let Marquise Van Valdez Scantling come up with another catch like that. Let Rushy Rice go off for over 100 yards. They're not going to do it, okay? They're not going to do it because the numbers say they're not going to do it. So I hope the 49ers shut down Kelsey. I know it's a tough job, and they give him favorable matchups, and we've got linebackers like Fred Turner, you know, Fred Warner, and, and Drake Greenlaw. But my God, Lou, I mean, we can't rely on those athletic linebackers to cover Travis Kelsey. Bump him at the line of scrimmage with those defensive ends. Don't give him a free release. That half extra second that he doesn't get off the line of scrimmage, it's going to play wonders in the fact us getting home with Bosa or Chase Young or somebody else. I mean, that's what it's that's what it's got to be. Like, you know where the ball is heading. Why don't you take away the top guy? Let the other guys beat you. Not going to do it. And the Ravens just didn't do enough of that. It's just, yeah. I don't know. The, the game plan was, wasn't was good. But they adjusted. Again, Suspect. in the second half. It was still adjusted. a close game. I mean, that that's just it. I mean, they were still, it was a one-score game. Like, even I was watching the game with my daughter. Now she's, you know, yeah, okay, she's a Chiefs fan because of because of me. But, yeah, she's waiting for all the Taylor Swift stuff. I mean, I'm not going to not gonna lie. She's not going to lie either. But I was saying it just seems like they should be ahead by a lot more because time of possession was so much in their favor, uh, you know, that – they don't get points on the, you know, on a, on a fourth down. They're in the, in the, uh, in the red zone. They go for it on fourth. They don't get it. So it was like, God, you know, Baltimore just hanging around, hanging. You're just expecting something in the second half. And, uh, but like you said, Snead punched it out. Uh, Lamar makes a horrible throw, you know, into the end zone. You know, our guy, the gorilla likely throws his hand up. So he just lets it fly and like the, whatever the third or fourth team uh, uh, safety, Dion Bush, comes up with a pick in the end zone. So, all right. So we have some coaching uh, moves uh, in the interim. Atlanta hired their guy, got Raheem Morris. So Belichick uh, looks like he's going to be not coaching this year. Um, Harbaugh was kind of like the, you know, anticlimactic. It was just sort of like, okay, we all kind of figured this was going to happen and the chargers to their credit, they, they did what they were going to do. And I'm sure, you know, Harbaugh had a lot of terms they said, whatever, let's do this. And, uh, and they got that together. And then uh, Carolina with a little, little surprise, maybe a little curveball with Canales being the, the coach, uh, you know, OC for the first year this year in Tampa, obviously did a great job with Baker was the uh, quarterback coach in Seattle, did a great job with Geno. So uh, that one was a little bit of a curveball. And and it just leads me to believe that maybe some of the guys a little bit more experience or maybe had a little bit more uh, 
juice behind them, or at least they felt like they had some juice, kind of shied away from going to work for for Tepper. I, I mean, I don't know. All due respect to Canales, it just that one kind of that came out of left field for me. Not that you know that he's not a good coach or whatever, but it just seemed like I don't know that he was quite ready, so to speak, with like some of these other guys. I, we were talking before the show at I think at one o'clock Eastern story came across that uh, Ben Johnson was uh, taking his name out of consideration with Seattle and Washington going to stay in Detroit. So that's a second, a second cycle. I I don't know how to, how to see that. I don't know if he, maybe the inter, maybe the interviews didn't go well. He didn't hear what he wanted to hear, but some of these, it's almost like if he go through the cycle a couple of times, and you don't get one of these jobs, whether it's your choice or the team's, it may not come around again. There's going to be plenty of openings, but there's a bunch of other guys that are coming coming up too. And now next year you'll have a bunch of these, you know, bigger name dudes. You know, if Vrabel's still hanging around, if uh, you know, if Belichick's still hanging around, if Pete's still hanging around, and they want to coach, so interesting move by Ben Johnson, I would say. I actually agree with you there. It's like if you don't get hired, like when you are a hot name, when you're right. in there, when your offense is clicking, you seem to have this chemistry with Jared Goff, and you've once again instilled this confidence in him. You got to take advantage of it. I mean, you got to take the job that is offered to you, possibly. I mean, they only come around like so often. Then the next cycle, you might be a good offensive coordinator, but people aren't going to look at you because there are going to be some new hot shots, defensive coordinators or offensive coordinators. And people are going to remember that, hey, you took your job. You took your name out of consideration for the Carolina Panthers job two years ago. And now you took your name out of a, out of a job for the Washington job. So that's that's interesting. Canales kind of took advantage of this situation because he's like, yeah, all right, absolutely. nobody wants to work for Carolina. I'm going to do it because, hey, I'm a young guy. Nobody knows me. I've developed. I'm a, I'm a quarterback whisperer, right? I because think that's look, the only interview he had. I mean, he did, he's I, like, it wasn't like he – I don't think the, any of these other teams had them on their list. But Canales is like a quarterback whisperer, okay? The, the fact that he had such positive effect on Geno Smith in a career year. Then he resurrected Mayfield's career here on a one-year deal. Mayfield looked like a more confident quarterback, something that we haven't seen since, you know, that Cleveland year when he led them to the playoffs. I just think that, you know, you, you got to take ownership and you got to take opportunity because these jobs don't come around every, you know, every year. So it's like Johnson, I don't know what he's doing. I mean, Campbell is certainly not moving on, right? I mean, he's not going to be the next head coach in waiting. So that's kind of an interesting situation. It's kind of like Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn has been playing this game the last couple of years as well. But, you know, he gets paid quite a bit as the defensive coordinator. Maybe he gets the job this year uh, with the Seattle Seahawks. The Atlanta job was kind of interesting, right? It looked like it was Bell Belichick, right? He gets the second interview, and I guess he wanted too much power. And now they bring back Raheem Morris who was the interim before they hired Arthur Smith, and then his connection with Rich McKay, I guess, because they were there with the Bucks. So I guess Raheem Morris seemed like the logical choice because he can get along and, and work with those people that 
are running the Atlanta franchise. So it's interesting. I want to see who gets the, the Washington job and the Seattle job. I don't know. Talk I mean, to a lot of people. I think, you know, Slowick's name has still got to be in there. Uh, I think McDonald was in there uh, for a face-to-face. I don't know. What, I, I don't know what the deal was with with Ben Johnson because I think he he may have met with them yesterday, so either it didn't go well or like I said or they weren't willing to meet what he was what he required. I don't know, but it's just different with Washington now because it's a whole new ownership group. They said they were going to take a little bit of a different approach, but like you said a couple of weeks ago, and I think you can kind of connect the dots that they hired uh, you know their GM was out of San Francisco's uh, front office. So Bobby Slowick having that connection, maybe, you know, if, if McDonald doesn't blow them away, that that's their guy. But because right now the three names that are, those are it. You mentioned Quinn, McDonald, Slowick. Now a bunch of other guys have, have interviewed with, with some of these teams, Vrabel, so it could, you know, just because they're interviewing these guys now, I think it was just more of a timing thing because of they they co- they were coaching up until this past weekend. So maybe they've got a favorite in the clubhouse and they just wanted to, hey, let's give this guy an opportunity to meet face-to-face. They did the Zoom thing. So let's see how that goes. And maybe the face-to-face just didn't go very well with Ben Johnson. And uh, and here we are. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just going to be interesting that Bill Belichick not coaching this year that like, what's, what's he going to, I guess I still say if he does, they may try to get him on TV, but I could see him just going to, to Annapolis and just hanging around that program and being like a consultant for the Navy. I, I, I truly believe that's in the back of his mind. Just do that because his father was there. He talks so so fondly about it if you if you watch the the college game day this year at the end of the year when army navy was was at foxborough and he was on with lee corso i mean it was like a tearjerker uh because i guess corso was a either an assistant or maybe the head coach there for for a certain time and uh they known each other forever it was just uh just a different side of belichick that you don't typically see so uh that's that's just fascinating to me what what he ends up doing for this for this season. Like he won't know what to do with himself. He's got to got to work something, right? No days off. But it's off. not only but it's not only Belichick. It's probably going to be Vrabel and Pete well, Carroll who are Pete, not going to yeah. be out there. It looks like they're not going to have a job. So that means so they'll come back in 2025. You think we could hire them? Have like Saban and Belichick and Pete like come on and with us every Absolutely. week? Absolutely. They're even free once game a, now. Even like, even like once a month, you know, just this once a month. Just, you know, just We'll just sit, sit and, and just ask them questions and have them tell stories. And I think that would be that would be great theater for people to not necessarily theater, maybe just radio, because God, God knows we're not going to put our faces on the screen. OK, if, if McAfee can if McAfee can have Aaron Rodgers on, we can definitely get Belichick or Pete or Vrabel. We got that kind of cash in the coffers. <laughs> we can pony up that ESPN cash uh, or yeah, McAfee on his own. I'm sure that's all. Uh, well, whatever. All right. So let's go. Let's a short story time with Uncle Alex. Like I said, Alex, we've got Senior Bowl and the East West Shrine 
game going on this week. Practices are going on uh, as we speak. Uh, you've been to both of those games many, many occasions. Maybe throw a story our way that we can kind of chew on and say, all right, we remember that. I'm going to say the Eric Fisher pick. Hello. Um, when he came in to that senior bowl, people were talking about like early second round pick, late first round pick. He he left the senior bowl week dominating and people were like, he's going to be a top 10 pick. Well, that's basically what the analysts said, There's right? Luke, Luke Jokel, right? Wasn't he the other guy? Right. He was, he was the other favorite number one overall pick. Many people talked him up. Well, you know what? In the 2013 NFL draft, the Chiefs, your Kansas City Chiefs, <laughs> made him the first overall pick. And I'll be honest with you, coming into the week, like nobody talked about him being a first-round pick. He left the week as a top-10 guy, and obviously he continued to ascend, and he became the first overall pick. That was amazing, to be honest with you. During that same draft, we saw Donald, Aaron Donald, dominate the senior bowl practices, but he wasn't a fit for a lot of teams because of his size. People recognized that he was a good player, but he didn't even get drafted in the top 10. But I do remember Fisher and Donald dominating that senior bowl in 2013, and that was just, that was great theater. I mean, I, I never saw live two players that dominated more during senior bowl week than Eric Fisher and Aaron Don. Yeah, there was no, no clear cut, you know, number one player at that at that time. Now obviously after the fact, oh sure, of course, why didn't Aaron Donald go number one? Well, in a, when you, you do the, the talent evaluation and everything else, you know, the hand size, you know, height, weight, speed, whatever, but all Aaron Donald did was produce at Pitt. And it was and he was a former wrestler and just like all everything that you look for in a player and it's like, well, of course that was the guy, but at the time, and just like all, all these guys that are watching these practices now and waiting for the measurables and everything else, if it doesn't fit your profile, whether it's just based on your team or just, you know, typical first rounders, you don't spend the first round pick, but you know, that's why they play the games. You can't measure the heart all the time. And just, you know, guys are going to be late bloomers or whatever you want to call them. There's always surprises in the draft. So, yeah, that's uh, it's it's an interesting time of year. Uh, I kind of fell in love with the process uh, as, you know, going through like the I want to say like late 70s into the early 80s when the Chiefs were just horrible. And it was just kind of like what you looked forward to. Hey, maybe we can find that diamond in the rough. Maybe we get, you know, a couple of players that change our fortune. So you're kind of dialed in and say, who are these guys and, and all this. Now, I never was able to get my hands on them like you, Alex, or, you know, beat down on the field with them. But uh, it was always a lot of fun. But, you know, now as you – you know, you if you follow a team that's in the playoffs all the time and kind of making runs and playing into into late January, February in the most recent times, 
you kind of lose track of that a little, or at least I have. So today I made it a point. I'm watching the practices on NFL Network because uh, regardless of this game coming up in a couple of weeks, Chiefs are going to need some uh, some reinforcements coming up. So I'll, I'll be watching intently, and uh, maybe uh, we'll throw out a few names to watch. Yeah, I think the quarterbacks. I mean, the senior bowl was uh, great in bringing in Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr., and I think those two quarterbacks can help themselves, though, because, I mean, the top three quarterbacks, it seems like it's going to be, what? I mean, we've got Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, right? Then it seems like the fourth guy is J.J. McCarthy. These two guys, Nix kind of resurrected his career with Oregon the last two years, Penix, had a great run this year with Washington, and we saw brilliance, you know, against Alabama, right? And then we saw him struggle against Michigan. So, I mean, those things a little bit will come into it. I think those two quarterbacks, one of them, can really help himself because during Senior Bowl week, you're under the microscope. These GMs, for the first time, get a chance to see you up close, see how you're throwing, see how you carry yourself. See how you interview and whether you can become the face of the franchise. So that that's going to be just as important because remember, we saw Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, be the number one overall pick after having a solid senior ball week. But he impressed some folks in interviews, right, with his fire. Same thing with Daniel Jones. I mean, who would have thought Daniel Jones was going to be a sixth overall pick, right? And the Giants obviously decided and thought highly of him. To, to make that trade and to get him in the top 10. So quarterbacks at these events can really help themselves, and I think these two guys have a chance to elevate. All right, and speaking of quarterbacks, thanks to our guest, Michael Hires, quarterback at Sanford University, the Bulldogs, uh, Birmingham and Alabama. So they're just down, down the road, I guess, a bit from Mobile. So for my pal Alex... We'll be back next week to start previewing the Super Bowl, and that should be interesting as, obviously, for normal listeners of this show, uh, Alex is a pretty staunch San Francisco 49ers fan, and uh, it's pretty obvious who I cheer for on a regular basis. So should be make for an interesting show. Uh, Alex, great as always. Uh, until next time, peace.